Everybody can take a deep breath. All right, let it out. <laughs> we started a series not too long ago, and, and I pray that the, 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 the last week's message uh, helped you some in, in hearing about some unsung heroes of the Bible. And, and I, I kind of gave a little glimpse on what we'd be talking about this week. And um, we're talking about some, some heroes in the Bible. And a lot of people can relate to heroes in the Bible, right? You look at, if you ever been to a VBS or a Sunday school class, a hero in the Bible, right? Moses, there we go, burning bush kind of stuff. Or um, uh, Noah, right? Wiped out the whole earth. Noah's the guy to start it all over again. Noah, you're my man. Um, David, right? King David, oh man. Hero had a lot of blemishes early on in life. And didn't live a perfect life, but God saw fit, right? And what an example these people are in Scripture to us. That's why they're there, to help us. They're examples for us, right? Otherwise, just a history book. God put these people in here to be examples, right? And the ultimate hero, right? The biggest hero of the Scriptures, Jesus. He's all through, from the old to the new and all the way to the end. So we have all these major heroes, right? Samson and all these people. But some of these people are unsung heroes, and, and some people, like the guy we're going to talk about today, uh, isn't one that you may have heard of. You probably heard his name here or there. You heard of something. But um, these are unsung heroes, sort of lesser known heroes, but still heroes all the same. Right. And that word is thrown around a lot. Uh, it really has been for a lot of years. But this word hero, um, there are certain people I consider heroes. Um, but these are sort of the unsung lesser known heroes and we'll hear about this guy in a minute but i have a question for you to start off this morning and it's participatory right so it's just a show of hands or a nod would be great um it's lonely up here i think it's lonely when there's nobody in here i'm so thankful to see all your faces i get a little participation right this is a dialogue not a monologue all right have you ever had somebody throw you a surprise party first of all how many people like surprises some people do i do too i think it's cool and in show of hands, how many again have had a surprise party thrown for them? Me too, right? Just like three, four years ago on my 30th birthday. Well, y'all, already? Already. But on my 30th birthday, there was a surprise party. How many, how many have had a surprise party and they really pulled it off? Like you walked in and you're like, whoa, you had no, didn't see it coming. I, that was me too, right? I love surprise parties. I love surprises. Um, but you thought, you know, the surprise party. You think you're walking into a quiet room, and then suddenly everyone yells, or they say it quietly, one or the other, um, and all, and all the lights come on. Surprise! And all the lights come on, and you know the room is filled with family and friends, and they're all celebrating you and your birthday or anniversary, whatever it is, and you're just kind of like, whoa. It was a surprise, and surprises are fun. But there are times when surprises aren't that fun. Like when you're late for work already, and you're speeding down the highway, and surprise, your tire blows out. Not a fun surprise. Or when you thought you were sitting down to a nice, quiet night at home, and the phone rings. Surprise, the in-laws are coming over for dinner. Or maybe you're a parent who, you know, you've saved up the money, you've planned for months and months to go on that once-in-a-lifetime vacation, 
and you sit the kids down, right? And you've all seen those those ones where we're going to surprise the kids. We're not going to tell them we're going to Disney World. And you're going to surprise them. And you go, hey, kids, and here's the surprise. And then you don't quite get the reaction you were planning on. You plan for months to get this built up. And you say, here it is, kids. And they go, I don't really want to go. When those kind of surprises, when they, when they don't go the way you had planned, they're not very fun. Sometimes it's even worse than that. You, you, you're fully prepared for retirement, you thought, right? And you saved and you planned. You look forward to those years. And then surprise, the economy takes a turn. And then you have to work for a lot longer than you thought. <clears throat> we all like predictability. We all like to know what's going to happen. We all want to know what's coming. Some people like surprises, but they still like to plan. We all like to, to know what's coming so we can be prepared. But sadly, life's not always like that. Some things happen that you don't anticipate and that you can't understand. And it's hard to see God's hand at work during these times. And it's hard to understand what's going on. You think you have a plan. And then surprise... Are there any planners in the room? Yeah, right? A lot of you. Okay. We need to know. We got to know what's next. We got to see what's coming. And then surprise, life happens. You think you have it all figured out. You're a young couple. You're going to have that child. And you're going to, you have it all figured out. And then surprise, how many know the plans you make and sometimes being interrupted by things? And then you get confused. You say, God, this doesn't make sense what I'm going through right now. Well, today we're going to look at one of those moments from the Bible. And it's a story about an unlikely hero who faced an unpredictable situation. And this guy's name was Gideon. And Gideon is in Judges chapter 6. So if you want to sort of get there ahead of time. Now, Gideon faced an unpredictable situation. See, Gideon was a farmer. And he lived in Israel during a period when most of his friends and fellow countrymen had abandoned God. See, there was this time in the book of Judges where it kept happening over and over again, where God would bless the children of Israel, and then they would do evil in the Lord's sight, and then it would just sort of, he would send a judge, and they would set things right again, and then they would sin again, and they would find themselves over and over in this cycle. And a lot of people in, in Israel that were farmers or fellow countrymen had, had abandoned God, and they were doing evil in the Lord's sight, as, as the book of Judges tells us. And the whole country was following the wrong path at this time of Gideon. And as a result, God allowed enemies to come in and take everything from Israel. And it went something like this, that Gideon planted his crops, right? He planned. He worked his farm. And after he harvested it, the Midianite army would come in and steal everything that he worked for and leave him with nothing. And that kept happening over and over again. And we find Gideon in Judges chapter 6, around verse 11. And it says this, and it's a situation that doesn't exactly describe an amazing hero, but follow the story and you'll understand. Judges 6, verse 11. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah. Not Oprah. Everybody gets an oak tree. No, it's not that. That belonged that belonged to Joash, the Abizarite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. So Gideon was so terrorized by the Midianites that he threshes his wheat in a wine press. And if you know anything about th any wheat threshers any lately? No? 
No, not so much. All right. But it was an absolute crazy place to be threshing wheat because what you do is you separate the wheat, the edible portion, from the stalk, and you throw it up and you let the wind take away the non-edible part, and you're left with the edible part. That's threshing the wheat. And you don't thresh wheat in a closed-off area, but he's in this wine press. You thresh wheat on a threshing floor, and it's open so the stalk can blow away, and you're left with the good stuff. Well, Gideon was trying to thresh wheat in a wine press because it kept him hidden. Um, Because he was terrified. They kept stealing all of his crops and everything that he worked for. And he was scared that the Midianites would see him even threshing that wheat. And so he hid from them. And in verse 12, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. All right, let me see that again, Gideon, because Gideon, last I checked just a verse earlier, was hiding in a wine press. And now it says, Gideon, mighty warrior. I don't think God is really talking about that guy who was hiding in a wine press so he can't be seen. Did he just call him a mighty warrior? Talking about heroes? Heroes hiding? A hiding hero in a wine press? I heard one preacher say that he was down there in the wine press. Gideon was at the liquor store hiding out. I thought, I'm not sure about that. But I thought it was funny. And then he went on, believe me, that's a sermon for another day. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. He said it. And that's what he said to Gideon. Now, that doesn't make any sense. Gideon was not a mighty warrior. He was kind of a spineless weakling up until this point. He was running away from his enemies, not facing them. He was running away. Not running to the front lines. He was running from the fight. But it gets even worse. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? So God told him to go in the strength that you have, Gideon. Now, what strength is God talking about here? And I like he said, am I I not sending you? Like, if God tells you to do something, you're like, not me, God. God goes, am I not sending you? Then go. But what's what's strength? Gideon is is a bit of a chicken, right? Gideon's a a, a bit of a scaredy cat. He has no strength. So what was God doing choosing this this scaredy cat weakling to lead the nation out of the hand of its enemies? It doesn't make sense. And Gideon actually thought the same thing. He's alone and afraid threshing wheat in this wine press. And even though the angels spoke to him and declared he would be the one to bring about victory to these Israelites, Gideon began to argue, right? Shocker. The very next verse. Pardon me. Excuse me, Lord. Excuse me, Lord. Can I just say something here? One translation says, "But, but, Lord, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least of my family. So I've got the weakest. That's my clan, and out of this clan, I'm the weakest." Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever looked at what God is asking you to do and said, what? No, God, you got the wrong person. Not me. <laughs> Come on. You want me to do that? You want God, I'm, I'm nobody. Who am I? Are you sure you want me, Lord, to share my faith with my co-workers? How am I going to do that? I mean, I know a whole lot of people, but God, I, I can't possibly be, not me. They're not going to use me. 
God, I don't know a whole lot about the Bible. Wouldn't it be better for us to like invite the pastor to work with me? Maybe he could preach during lunch. That'd be good, wouldn't it? Don't send me an email. God, are you sure you want me to serve on that ministry team? I mean, God, do people know who I was? People know where I came from. People know my past. God, I used to be a terrible sinner. Why? What would they think if next thing you know I'm serving on some ministry team? Or, or God, you want to use me to be some sort of a, a teacher? God, you know I'm not very good at speaking in public, you know? See, you say, you say to God, God, are you sure you can use me? You know you say it to him. I mean, I've said it to him a hundred times. And, and I like what we talk about. We talk to God and we say, you know, like, like Gideon, you know, my clan, pardon me, but God, I don't know if you know this. I like we try and surprise God with stuff like he doesn't know it already, right? God, I don't know if you know this, but I can't save Israel. Uh, I'm the weakest, remember? Come on, like Gideon standing there going like this. God, you're going to choose me? I mean, everybody in my clan in Manasseh looks at me and say, Gideon, you are the weakest link. Goodbye. Nothing. All right, got a little. All right, we're getting there. But you know what? If you feel like that, you're not alone this morning because Gideon felt that same way. And not just Gideon, people throughout the Bible, some of the more, more known heroes throughout the scriptures felt that way. Moses, remember, said it didn't make sense for God to use him to deliver Israel from Egypt. God, he said, who am I that I should deliver Egypt? Who am I that I, should, that I should deliver Israel? Who am I that I should go before Pharaoh? Jeremiah, remember Jeremiah, the great prophet of God said, oh, oh, sovereign Lord, I don't know how to speak for I'm only a child. See, God's got a plan for your life. He's got a plan for your family. He has a plan for the place you work. He has a plan. And you know what? It includes you. No matter how weak you think you are, he has a plan for you that includes you. You're someone God is desiring to use you in that plan. The all-powerful, all-knowing, great God can and does anything he pleases. And he chooses you and me to accomplish his plan and do his will. That's amazing. He doesn't have to, but he chooses us. So you think it doesn't make sense for God to use you because you know your weaknesses. You know you feel it's impossible. God knew your weaknesses before he even called you. And once one preacher told me one time, he said, you know, the Lord doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. Tweet that. He doesn't call you because you've got this long list his resume that says, look, God, hey, look what I can do for you, Lord, like we can do anything for God. He doesn't, quali- he doesn't call the qualified. He calls you, and then he gives you everything that you need to accomplish what he has for you. He qualifies the called. Amen? Now, Gideon, the same answer, verse 16. The Lord answered, I'll be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites together. See, when you say, God, are you sure that you can use me? God says, I'll be with you. I will be with you. Now notice Gideon's emphasis. He really likes the word I in his story. He says, I am the least. How can I deliver Israel? And Moses said the same thing. And so did Jeremiah and so do you. And you're exactly right. On your own, you can't accomplish what God has for you. Don't try. But to Moses... 
God said, certainly I will be with you. To Gideon, he said, I will be with you. To Jeremiah, he said, don't be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you. Jacob, when he was alone in the desert, running for his life from his brother, God said, I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Remember Joshua, he took over for the legendary leader Moses, right? Talk about shoes to fill, but I'm not sure how often Moses wore shoes, right? He was always taking them off. But come on, be strong and courageous, he said to Joshua. Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. Why? For the Lord your God will be with you. What does he say? Wherever you go. Y'all remember that song? To the disciples, Jesus says in Matthew 28, Surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And God says to you this morning, Never will I leave you. Never will I, will I forsake you. We sang the song, Never once have we ever walked alone. And I'm glad for that truth this morning. God's promise to Gideon is God's promise to us. Whatever circumstances you find yourself in, God says, I'm with you. The God of the universe, I am with you. Whenever there's an I am in the scriptures, we need to pay attention. And God says, I am with you. Don't be discouraged. Don't be depressed. Don't be afraid. Don't worry. I am for you, and it doesn't matter who or what is against you. I will always be with you. God says, I will never leave you. We call that in the church blessed assurance. Amen? That is our blessed assurance. After a series of events, a really a whole lot of convincing, Gideon decides to answer God's call and lead him and lead his people into battle even though it made no sense at all. And if you think that God doesn't make sense to your plan, you haven't seen anything yet. Wait till you see what he does for Gideon. He put out a call, Gideon put out a call for the fighting men of Israel to meet him at the spring of Herod so he could assemble an army to defeat the Midianites. And he looked out at this army in a vast array of 32,000 men and he thought, all right, we got this. We got this. He looks out at 32,000 men. All right, this is going to be cool. This is going to be all right. Thank you, God. I get it now. I don't have to do this myself. I got some help. All right, cool. Chapter 7. But the Lord said to Gideon in verse 2, You have too many men. What in the world does it mean to have too many men? You've got too many men to go into the fight. I mean, how do you have too many men? I mean, I guess if you have if you have 60 men inside a 50-man boat, you have too many men. But to fight against an enemy you already are now outnumbered by four to one, how can you have too many men? It's like having too much money. It's like God saying, I'm sorry, uh, you have too much money to make it through your financial crisis right now. You have too much. You have too many men. What was God thinking? Well, in verse, in verse 2b, or Israel would boast against me. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands, or Israel would boast against me and say, my own strength has saved me. That's what it means to have too many men. Now announce to the people, <laughs> announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left. They took off while 10,000 remained. I need my core people. 
all right now Gideon looks out and he says all right I got my core people now all right God you're going to shave off a few men I get that (laughs) well 22,000 men left he's left with 10 all right Gideon's going to take the army of of the Midianites not with 32,000 men but with 10,000 hopefully now God is done with these nonsensical orders and can really send Gideon's army in to fight right I mean this is good okay I'm still okay with 10,000 still a lot of people He's not done. Verse 4. But the Lord said to Gideon, There are still too many men. Take them down to the water. And I will sift them. I like one translation. I will thin them out for you there. One translation says, I will sift them for you there. If I say one, this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. And so Gideon did that. He took the men down to the water. And there the Lord told him, Separate those that lap the water with their tongues as a dog and laps the water from those who kneel down to drink. And the Lord said to Gideon, 300 of them, this is what happened, 300 of them lapped with their hands to their mouths and all the rest got down on their knees to drink. And in verse 7, the Lord said to Gideon, With these 300 men, that laughed, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the others go home. Gideon had to be thinking, is when is this when is this gonna end? I mean, I can't get a decent order from God to save my life here. I had the army of thirty-two thousand, and now I'm left with three hundred men, and the only thing that they have going for them is that they drink properly. I'm going to fight this army with some guys who just are polite. Gideon's losing his mind. He's freaking out because he had this massive army and God is shrinking it down to nothing. You see, when God doesn't make sense, you look at it and say, God, the enemy is way too big. Now the enemy's too big. You think you're going in for a regular checkup and you think you've got all your T's crossed, you're a healthy person, you're going in for a regular checkup. And then doctor comes in and hits you with the news. He mentions the word cancer, and you think, God, I can't face cancer. It's too big. It's too much. God, it's too strong. I can't win. Maybe your child has walked away from God and from you. Maybe there's a broken relationship, and they live in outright rebellion. And each night you cry yourself to sleep, say, and you know that the enemy's got such a hold on their life that it's just too big. The bondage is too strong. They're too far gone, God. Or maybe maybe you have, know somebody or yourself, your marriage is damaged, hopelessly damaged. You're on the brink. And you sit there and God, I say, God, there's just too much damage that's already been done. It's too big, God. I can't ever see victory happening here. You see, you look at the circumstances and you're convinced that there is no hope. God, I can't. I'm too weak. I'm the weakest in my clan. I'm too weak to fight this, God. I can't do it. The problem is too tough. The situation is too bleak. But God demonstrates something to Gideon here that he wants all of us to learn. God told Gideon to take the 300 men and go into battle against an entire army. You see, God's not intimidated. God has a plan when you say the enemy is too big, God's, God laughs at that and says, you know how big I am. So you don't have to deny the power 
of the enemy. You don't have to say, well, that's not a big enemy. Sometimes they are big. It is a big hurdle. It is a big problem. It is a big circumstance for you to face. The only, and that's not what I'm saying, that you have to diminish. Oh, well, it's only just a little cancer. No, no, it's a big deal. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying the enemy is sly and cunning. And in this world, the enemy has a lot of influence. And in, in fact, we tend to surrender too early. We tend to surrender too early. God, it's too big. I, I, it's too much. It's just, it's too great. That struggle, that process, that enemy, that situation, God, is too big. It's too great. Let me remind you what 1 John 4, 4 says. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world. God's not intimidated by your problem. Your enemies rise up against you. You know what Romans 8.31 says? If God is for us, what shall we say to all these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? This is God's word. Romans chapter 8. Boy, I'd like just memorize Romans chapter 8. You'll be all right. God was bigger than the Midianites that Gideon faced. And God is bigger than the sickness that you're facing. And he's bigger than the financial pressure that you're facing. He's bigger than the family issues that you're facing. God is able and God is bigger. Your enemy is, is big. I get it. But God says, I'm so much bigger. And his power is greater than anything you're facing. The story continues. Verse 9, during the night, during that night, the Lord said to Gideon, get up and go down against the camp because I'm going to give it into your hands. And if you're afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant, Pura, and listen to what they are saying. Afterward, you will be encouraged to attack the camp. Here we go again with crazy orders for Gideon, right? Remember, Gideon's still the same person. He's still kind of a, a, a little bit of a chicken. You know, and his legs get to shaking. Does this make any sense? Gideon, the guy who was scared to death of Midian, the Midianites. He's in the wine press. I hope they don't find me. And he's threshing wheat in this wine press, surrounded. And God told him to go down to their camp. Not, not far away from the camp, where he would get, you know, his binoculars and see what he could see. He said, go right down into the camp. So close that he could hear what they were saying. That's pretty close. Basically sitting right in the middle, surrounded in the enemy's camp. And Gideon had to be thinking, you've got to be kidding me, Lord. But he went and he did it. 11b. So he and Pura, his servant, went down to the outposts of the camp. Y'all need to know about Gideon. You're going to know about him before this sermon's over. The Midianites, <clears throat> the Amalekites, and all of the other eastern peoples had settled in the valley thick as locusts. Their camels could no longer, could, couldn't no more be counted than the sand on the seashore. They had a lot of stuff going on. A lot of people, a lot of animals, a lot of stuff getting ready to, they, they could defeat whatever they wanted to defeat. And Gideon arrived just as a man was telling a friend his dream. He said, I had a dream. He was saying, a round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. 
And his friend responded, well, this can be nothing more than the sword of Gideon against Joash, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. Okay, let's just agree with one on one thing, right? That's a strange dream. But then the second soldier says, oh, I know what that dream means. That Gideon and his army are going to come down and whoop us tonight. That's what's going to happen. I mean, that doesn't make any sense. The guy dreamed of a rolling loaf of bread. And his friend told him, that means Gideon's coming. Now, I'm not one that knows how to interpret dreams, and I don't get into all that. What does that mean? And we were just talking about that. That's why I dreamt this. But what does this have to do with going into battle? What does this have to do with going into battle? I mean, it rolled. Oh, that means, oh, man. You dreamed of a loaf of bread. Well, that must, the only thing I could think of is if you told me you dreamed of a loaf of bread, I might say maybe you're not supposed to be a soldier. You're supposed to be a baker. You better not, you better not let the, cap, the captain find you loafing around. Well, you're going to be toast. Where's the butter? I'm on a roll. Sorry, that was a crummy joke. Some of you will get that later. Who dreams of bread anyway? Nevertheless, God used these Midianites and the wacky bread dream to encourage Gideon because look what happened. Verse 15. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed down and worshipped. He bowed down and worshipped. He returned to the camp of Israel and called out, Get up, the Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. And so it was time to prepare for battle. Regardless of how it was interpreted, Gideon was encouraged. And God gave Gideon the most outrageous battle plan that you've ever heard. Dividing the 300 men into three companies, he placed trumpets and empty jars in the hands of all of them with torches inside. And he said this, watch me, he told them, follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. And when I and all who are with me blow your trumpets, blow our trumpets, then from all around the camp, blow yours and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. And so instead, in the middle of the night, instead of rushing the Midianite camp and overtaking them with surprise and in their sleep and taking over the camp that way, God had another plan. Once again, God's plan didn't seem to make much sense. Gideon and his army are supposed to hold up jars and candles and blow trumpets. I mean, strategy? Jars and candles? This is the Bath and Body Works strategy for overtaking the Midianite army. I mean, we're going to attack them with our candles. I can just see it, right? Everybody with war paint on, long hair, battles, ready to go with their candles in their hands. You can take our lives, but you'll never take our candles. Yes, I did. This makes no sense. 
And yet that's what God tells them to do. You might be in a situation today that makes absolutely no sense. Maybe you're in a situation where God has spoken to you and he's given you specific things that he wants you to do. And you said, God, you cannot be talking to me. This does not make sense. Well, as you've learned today, that feeling, that sense that you have, God is not intimidated by that. He knows how difficult it is to understand his plan. He knows that it's hard to understand the purposes for your life. You don't even have to understand, okay? Gideon didn't understand. It didn't make sense. It wasn't logical to Gideon. You don't have to understand. You just have to obey. See, there's a principle here that's very important. And I want to share that principle with you this morning. A lack of understanding does not excuse a lack of obedience. That's a little, little rough for the first Sunday back in so many months. A lack of understanding does not excuse a lack of obedience. And some of you have missed out way too long because you sat back and you refused to give God control of your life. You're trying to analyze every move. I said, how many planners, right? I need to know ahead of time, God. You need to lay it out for me. You're trying to analyze every move that God makes, and you're trying to force it to fit into our limited understanding of how life should work. Stop trying to make sense of God. It won't work. Instead, trust him. Trust and obey, the song says. Experience victory through trusting and obeying and don't try to make sense of it all. God's saying to you, it might not make sense, but trust me, I'm God and you're not. So it doesn't make sense. It didn't make sense to Gideon. All right, it's time to see if all this crazy stuff that God came up with is really going to work. So we pick up the story in verse 19. Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of of the camp and he be, and the beginning of the middle watch just after they had changed the guard and they blew their trumpets and they broke the jars that were in their hands the three companies blew the trumpets and smashed the jars all those around them grasping the torches now they're calling them torches now grasping the torches these are my torches in their left hands and holding in their right hands the trumpets they were to blow they shouted a sword for the lord and for Gideon. And while each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran crying out as they fled. And with the 300, when they'd sounded their trumpets, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords, and the army fled. It worked! In spite of all of this going against human logic and all understanding, God's plan worked and the Israelites were victorious. The enemy was defeated and the peace reigned over Israel once again. The final lesson that we can learn from Gideon is a very simple one. It's not difficult. But when you look back throughout this story, God asked Gideon to do some things that made absolutely no sense. Asking a weak and scared farmer to lead an army makes no sense telling that farmer that he has too many men to win the battle no sense instructing Gideon to trim down their army by the style of their drinking their water doesn't make any sense using a dream of a loaf of bread to encourage Gideon doesn't make any sense instructing Gideon to lose to use these lamps and trumpets 
doesn't make any sense. But often God's ways won't seem to fit within the realm of your simple human logic. What's God's plan? This is how kingdom living is often reversed. Kingdom living is often topsy-turvy. Follow me. So you think, what? Well, it doesn't make sense, right? What's God's plan for our finances? Give more away. What's God's plan for your response to someone who has hurt you deeply? Love them and pray for them. What's God's plan for you to have an incredible life? Die to yourself. What's God's plan for being the greatest is to be a servant. God's plan for being the greatest in the kingdom is to be a servant of all. See, there's one thing that Gideon's story teaches us is that God doesn't have to make sense. One other part of scripture I want to share with you before we close. As the heavens are higher, Isaiah says. Talk about God making sense. He puts it very simply. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. See, it doesn't have to make sense to you. God's ways are much higher than yours. God's thoughts are much higher than yours. You see, God You see the moment, God sees eternity. You see sickness, God sees the healing that is to come. You see broke, God sees blessed. You see lost, God sees found. You see no hope whatsoever, God sees the victory that's on the horizon right now. So what does God say when you say, God, this doesn't make sense? God says, well, I'm God. God's ways may not make sense to you, but he's the all-powerful God who created the world. He's not subject to the laws of the world. The laws of the world are subject to him. And you might be in a situation kind of like Gideon. And maybe you're asking God, God, are you sure you can use me? And some of you God has specifically spoken to, and he wants you to do something. It might be in the church. It might be in your neighborhood. It might be in a relationship you have with someone at work. But God is speaking to you to say certain words, to take a certain action, and you see yourself as worthless and not able to live up to that calling. God says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Would you stand this morning? Join me in prayer as we reflect on what the Holy Spirit said to us. This is the time in the service when we have a minute to just reflect on what God has been revealing to us. What's he said to you? What's he spoken to you this morning? What's the Holy Spirit speaking to you even right now? 
I know that in this room and online, there, there are a lot of people who just like Gideon are facing an enemy that seems unconquerable. You feel like you're going up against several armies with only a small amount of men. You feel like you're completely outnumbered. The odds are insurmountable. You say, you know what? The enemy's too big. I can't win the battle. The sickness is too big. The issue with my family, you don't understand, Pastor, or God, you don't understand. It's too big. The problem I have in my life, in my family, in my work, it's just too big. God says, my power is made perfect in your weakness. We think of these unsung heroes, these these sort of lesser known heroes of the scriptures. They're there for our example. You think God didn't know what was going to be going on in your life right now? God knew. Your situation doesn't surprise God. Would you consider turning it all over to him even this morning? Control is an illusion. If you think you have it, you're just fooling yourself. God is in control. Turn it over to him. Whatever, however big you think it is, you may not think you're, you may think you're the weakest in your class. You may think you are the weakest link. But God says, you know what? My power is made perfect in your weakness. When you are weak, I am strong. So would you bow your heads this morning? We go before the Lord in closing and in response to what the Holy Spirit is saying to us. Really reflect and ask God what he's saying to you and and how he's calling you and what he's speaking to you this morning and how he's calling you to turn it over to him and how he's calling you to say, you know what? I am not strong enough. I am not able, but I know a God who is able. I don't have what it takes. Yeah, and that's right where God wants you. God wants you in a place of surrender. God wants you to stop trying to do it on your own so you can rely on him to help you so that he gets the glory. That's how the math works. What is he calling you to? It could be to speak to that person could be to take that job it could be to leave that job it could be whatever he's speaking to you about stop trying to have all the t's crossed and the i's dotted turn it over to him there's a freedom in that when you can turn that stuff over to god and just put it in his hands you lay those burdens down at the foot of the cross and you say all right jesus you take it i don't need to know i don't have to know the answers You got it all covered, God, and I'm going to trust you. Trust and obey. So with our heads bowed, we go before the Lord and say, God, we are just giving it over to you this morning. God, there will be scars and struggles along the way, Lord, and we will ultimately, Lord, have to face many, many battles in our lives. And God, if it, truth be known, those sit, standing in this room and those joining us online, God, may be facing something that, that that struggle, that enemy, that problem looks way bigger 
than they could even handle. And God, that's right where you want us. The place where we would surrender our will, God. And we would say, Lord, I need you. I need your help. I know that there is nothing impossible for you, Lord. I know, Lord, that no problem is too big. No enemy is too large. If we turn it over to you, God, that you can't help us deal with, that you can't eradicate. God, we as you frail, feeble-minded humans, Lord, we need help now more than ever in turning this stuff over to you and, Lord, fully trusting in you. So, God, whatever struggle it is, whatever you're calling us to, God, you couldn't possibly be calling us. That's our argument, Lord. We don't have to have it all together, God. We can, we can just blindly trust you. You're that good. You're that holy. You're that good at what you do for us. You're that good at accomplishing your will that we can just trust you. And I know, Lord, there, there are those standing here with heads bowed and eyes closed. I know, Lord, there are those that need to turn some things over to you, God. Some things we don't have the answers that we want. We don't have full control. And God, we want to turn them over to you. And God, in response to what the Holy Spirit has said and done in this place, through your word and this example of Gideon, God, you are working on people's hearts right now. And in response to what we just heard, maybe that's you this morning. And nobody's going to be looking around. We got heads bowed and eyes closed. No one's going to no one's going to judge you. No one's going to criticize you. But you say, "You know what, pastor? I have something in my life that lo- it's looming large, and I really need to face the music and turn it over to God. I just need to fully trust and turn it over to him." Whatever that is, and you all know what it is. I want to lift you before the throne specifically. So with heads bowed and eyes closed, if that's you this morning, you say, Pastor, I need to give something to the Lord starting right now, and I mean it. Just raise your hand and say, Pastor, that's me. I'm giving it over to him right now. I have it. It's looming large, but I'm ready to trust him. Amen. I'm ready to fully trust him. I don't need to have all the answers. I don't need to. I can surrender a little bit of my control, Lord, and turn it over to you. If that's you again, I'll just look one more time. Say, that's me. Pastor, pray for me. Amen. Thank you. Father, you've seen those who have raised their hand and say, you know what? I'm turning it over to you, God. And and I see you rejoicing. You're saying, come on, bring it on. It's all you want from us, Lord, is a surrendered heart. It's all you've ever wanted from mankind is a surrendered heart to you. Whether that's salvation, accepting you as our Savior, or whether it's help in our very very present help in our time of need, God, you are the one that is looking for a surrendered heart. And God, there are those here that have surrendered this morning and said, that's me, Pastor. So we lift those before you, Lord, and we know that you know them and you know them dearly. You know them intimately. You know every hair on their head, God. And I pray that you would give them the help that they seek this morning. 
there's anyone joining online that says, I need to turn some things over to the Lord, just put that down in the comments. Say, I'm turning it over this morning. I'm turning it over. Trust him with everything that you have. Trust him. God, in your weakness, in our weakness, you are strong. I thank you, Lord, that we never once have to walk alone. You'll never leave us or forsake us. You will always give us what we need to fight the battles in our lives. Like Gideon, Lord, we, he thought he needed all of this, this provision and all of these men and all these things. And God, you showed him exactly what he needed in the provision and the men that he needed. And it didn't make much sense, but God, we don't have to understand it. For those that love, love the plan, Lord, and, and, and have to execute the plan. God, we don't have to understand the plan. We just surrender it to you and know that you know best. So lead and guide and show people, Lord, what they need to see in their lives. Take over. I thank you, Lord, for what you're about to do in these folks' lives that have surrendered to you. We give you the praise and give you the glory, Lord. In Jesus' powerful name. And everyone agreed saying amen and amen. Great to be with you all this morning. Join us again next.